Thank you, Jubal, and good morning. Uh, before we get into our text, just a couple of announcements that I would like to make. First of all, I want to thank everybody for your prayers, and uh, we'll be giving you an update here in just a moment. Uh, we want to also remember Brother Denman in our prayers. Uh, if you don't already know, uh, he is, was hospitalized, uh, is hospitalized, is hospitalized, hospitalized, uh, and uh, with an infection, and then also uh, he fell in the uh, bathtub, so be in prayer for him. Also, we received a call from Miss Sylvia this week. Uh, her six-year-old grandson uh, had a kidney removed. Uh, he had cancer, and so we want to remember her and uh, that family uh, in our prayers. Uh, again, as we said earlier, we want to thank you for your prayers for our health. Uh, we're doing well. Uh, I think you know uh, on the, uh, I guess it was the 12th evening of the Early evening on the 12th, I started showing signs of uh, COVID, uh, headache, uh, coughing. I started running a low-grade fever. Uh, a couple days later, it started affecting my sense of smell and taste. I didn't go get tested. I didn't see the need. Uh, since my wife uh, was tested positive on Friday, that, that previous Friday, I uh, just assumed that I have it. Uh, my symptoms have been mild. Uh, in fact, if it wasn't for the fact that I knew that Lisa had, had covid I would, I would be still doing what I normally do. It really hasn't slowed me down much. Uh, Lisa, uh, his, uh, her symptoms are, are mild, uh, but yet a little bit more intense in some ways, where she has uh, uh, the nausea. It's really been hard for her, as well as uh, the extreme fatigue, though she is getting a little bit uh, better as far as her capability of doing something and not getting so tired. But again, we just appreciate uh, uh, your prayers for us during this time, uh, which is one reason why we're recording this way. Uh, we didn't, once we found out uh, our symptoms started, we haven't been at the church. Uh, we just didn't want to go up into the building, didn't want to make anybody feel uh, uncomfortable at all uh, coming into the building. And uh, so we're recording this way. I know it's a little awkward. It's certainly probably awkward for you. I know it's a little awkward for me. But uh, we know the Lord is going to encourage us and bless us this morning. The last thing is, is that my ESV Bible is at the church. Uh, and I really like having a Bible in my hand uh, when I'm preaching or teaching. And so I've got my net Bible here at the house, which is what I read from. And so I'll be using that today. Uh, and hopefully that translation switch uh, won't uh, cause you too much difficulty. So again, um, it's good to see each of you here today, and Lisa and I hope you have a blessed Christmas. Uh, we want to go ahead and uh, ask you, if you would please, to stand with us in honor of God's Word. We'll be reading from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. We'll be in a lot of passages of Scripture today as we close out our Advent series. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to stand with you, and we will read from God's word this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. But when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you again for this day. Thank you for this opportunity, for the privilege of being able to gather together, for the privilege of being able to be around your word, and Lord, we just ask you bless the fellowship of your people today. Pray, Father, you bless the time as they close out the service with covenant renewal and communion and more, that you would just make it a, a very blessed and special time. Pray for Brother Denman this morning that you be with him, strengthen him, Miss Sylvia's family, 
Lord, that their six, her six-year-old grandson, and Lord, we just ask that you would touch his body and bring healing to it. We're grateful, Father, for your work of grace in our life this week. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to strengthen and bless today. Be with those who will be working with the children. We ask, Father, that you give those kids ears to hear today. And Lord, we pray that you give us ears to hear as we gather around your word. Thank you for all that's ours in Christ. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. And we are going to dismiss our children at this time. In the late 70s, Heinz ketchup uh, began to show its, adver uh, its, its advertising claiming it was the superior ketchup uh, by means of showing you how long you had to wait for it to come out of the bottle. Uh, and according to the advertisement, the long wait was due to its thick, rich texture and the weight they claimed was worth it. If you've watched any of those commercials, or if you go to YouTube or uh, just want to pull up one of those commercials to see it in the commercial, whichever particular setting you choose, the ketchup would be poured, and as it slowly made its way out of the bottle, uh, the refrain and revised lyrics from Carly Simon's song, Anticipation, would play. And you'd hear the refrain, Anticipation, Anticipation is making me wait. And by the time you got to the end of the refrain, the ketchup had made its way on the food, whether it was a hamburger or a french fries or whatever. It had been tasted, and as the consumer of the ketchup uh, proudly displayed a satisfying smile on their face, you would hear the, vo the voiceover. And the voiceover would say this, rich, thick, Heinz ketchup, the taste that's worth the wait. Now, being classified as one of the eight basic human emotions Tapping into anticipation makes sense. Anticipation can either be an emotion of pleasure or an emotion of anxiety, depending upon the expected event that an individual is awaiting. And the realization of something highly anticipated can be a joyful experience. Just think about it for a moment. Think about the birth of, of, of your child. Uh, you anticipated that. And, and look at verse 24. But God raised, don't have an altar call. Thank you, Jubal. And God's faithfulness of life. Uh, and, and so the, those, those experiences uh, of emotions can, can be joy. Thank you, Jubal. And look at verse 24. But God raised him up. He's talking about Jesus. Thank you, Jubal. And good morning. Now, before we get into our text, just a couple of announcements that I would like to make. First of all, I want to thank everybody for your prayers, and uh, we'll be giving you an update here in just a moment. Uh, we particular said, participation is making me wait. And by the time you got to the end of the refrain, the ketchup had made its way on the food, whether it was a hamburger or a french fries or whatever, it had been tasted, and as the consumer of the ketchup uh, proudly displayed a satisfying smile on their face, you would hear the, vo the voiceover. And the voiceover would say this, rich, thick, Heinz ketchup, the taste that's worth the wait. Now, being classified as one of the eight basic human emotions, tapping into anticipation makes sense. 
Anticipation can either be an emotion of pleasure or an emotion of anxiety, depending upon the expected event that an individual is awaiting. And the realization of something highly anticipated can be a joyful experience. Just think about it for a moment. Think about the birth of, of, of your child. Uh, you anticipated that. And, and once that child was born, the, the joy that was experienced because of that, or maybe it was a graduation or, or getting your driver's license or uh, getting an a anticipated promotion, uh, all kinds of things can, can, can be there. But, but we've all had that experience of, of highly anticipating something, and when it happens, the joy that we experience because of that. Well, as the Advent season comes to a close, let me ask you this question. What experience of emotions has been true for you this Advent season? Uh, there's been a lot going on. COVID, uh, just, the, just the everyday pressures of life. Uh, and, and so the, those, those experiences uh, of emotions can, can be joy or it can be sorrow. Uh, it can be eager anticipation or it can be dread and disappointment. And my prayer this morning is that the Lord will use our time to encourage your heart and to strengthen your joy as we observe God's compassion, God's wisdom, and God's faithfulness to his promise by granting to humanity the gift of his promised seed. Now, for this Advent season, the past several weeks, we've been tracing God's promise regarding the seed. It started in Genesis chapter 3 where God makes the promise and tells us that the, that, uh, the, the seed of the, of the woman is going to crush uh, the seed of the serpent. Uh, then we move on to Genesis chapter 12, where uh, the seed becomes prominent again with, with Abraham. And, and we looked at the, at the ways in which Abraham, the, 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 the representative, uh, the, the father uh, and representative of the family, was interacting with, with the promised seed. Uh, we went to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Again, there's another respite there. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the seed becomes prominent again, where God comes to David. And we looked at the Davidic covenant uh, as, and, and God's promise to him of, 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 of a seed that would, would reign upon the throne forever. And then we also looked at Jeremiah 22, which while it doesn't necessarily mention the seed per se, it does talk about the fact that through the, the, the line of Solomon, which was the, the line uh, the legal line of, of, of reign that nobody from uh, that, that no descendant of Coloniah would ever sit upon the throne of David. And so we looked at all those things over the last three weeks, and we found that each promise built upon previous revelation uh, and revealing to us, uh, revealing to us more uh, about the promise seed. And this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning, we look in awe uh, at the wisdom of God as the anticipated promised seed is no longer in the shadows. So this morning, what we're going to do is unpack the proof of the realized anticipation. And then we'll look at the practicality of the realized anticipation. What should it mean to us today, uh, here in 2020? Uh, as we get ready to, uh, here in a few days, uh, celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior. So let's look at the, at, the, at the proof of the realized anticipation. 
And, and this is what we have learned thus far, if you recall, about the promised seed. As we said earlier, it started in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we found that, that the promised seed was a human being. Again, the idea being that he was going to be the seed of the woman. He was going to come from the woman. And, and because of that, he is a human being. And the fact that the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent it revealed to us the fact that, that, our, that the promised seed is also going to deliver humanity. So a human being is going to deliver humanity. Uh, and, and that's the first glimpse. That's the first time we see. That's the, that's the first promise that God gives. Uh, but if you recall, uh, as he is uh, demonstrating his grace right after the fall of Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 12, we found out that the seed is going to be from uh, the family of Abraham. And as we saw the seed and how it related to Abraham, we saw that the direct descendant of Abraham, Isaac, it's a supernatural conception. God gives a promise, and for 25 years, uh, that promise is delayed. And that promise uh, doesn't come to fruition. And, and finally, to the place where Abraham is, uh, is, is 99, Sarah is, is 89, Sarah has uh, is no longer. Uh, she's gone through menopause. She's no longer able to uh, uh, bear a child. Uh, Abraham, as, as the Book of Hebrews tells us, that that his his body, uh, it, the deadness of his body, he's not able to conceive a child. And yet God supernaturally uh, works in their in their bodies, and a conception occurs. Uh, and so this this conception of the seed is. Is supernatural. We also see in Abraham's relation to the seed because uh, the uh, the climax point is not the birth of Isaac, but the climax point is when a Abraham offers up Isaac as a sacrifice, where God tells him to take his son, uh, the only son, the son whom he loves, and offer him up uh, on the mountain that God will show him, which was Mount Moriah. Uh, and, and we find that 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 and Abraham believes he he, he believes as he's taking. Uh, uh, his son Isaac up that mountain and he tells the servants uh, you stay here and, and I and the boy will come back to you uh, Abraham knew two things he knew first of all that, that Isaac was the promised seed and that through Isaac his descendants would come and, and the world would be blessed but he also knew that, that he had to go up there and to sacrifice Isaac and if, and, if, and if need be God would resurrect Isaac from the dead and so we looked at the fact that that uh, the seed cannot be conquered by death. And, and then after Genesis 22, there, there's that close again, that the seed does not become prominent. Uh, and then as we found out last time, uh, we, we went to uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and, and we see the Davidic covenant. And, and we find out also that the seed, he's a king. He's a king. And as the king, he must have the right to rule. Uh, and that right to rule comes through the line of Solomon. But as we made our way into Jeremiah 22 and the Babylonian captivity, uh, we found that God had given upon one of the descendants of uh, uh, Solomon uh, by the name of Koaniah, or uh, sometimes it's, it's in, referred to as Jeconiah, that there was a curse placed upon him because of his wickedness. That because of his wickedness, uh, that no, none of his descendants would ever sit upon the throne of David. And so we found that he must be a king, the seed must be a king, who, who, who has the right to rule, but who is also free from the curse of Conaniah. 
So that's the stipulations. That's the things that we learned about the promise. So, so what about the proof? Well, let, let's start making our way through some scriptures here, and we see it in, in our text that shows the first thing of the fact that, that he's, a, he's a human being. There in Galatians, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, when the appropriate time or when the fullness of time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So again, here we see this tie in to uh, Genesis chapter 3 as it relates to the seed of the woman. But the fullness of time is an idiom, and it's an idiom for the totality of a period of time with the implication of proper completion. In other words, is the fact that when, when, when Jesus Christ, when, when this son was born, uh, everything came into completion in him. Everything found its completion in him. And, and also the text tells us, as we just stated earlier, is that God's son entered this world by means of a woman. He's talking here about God's son. God's son. Uh, God sent out his son, uh, born of a woman, born under the law. God became a man. God became a human being. He came into this world by the same way you and I came into this world, by means of a woman. So, he's a human being. He's a human being. Not only is he a human being, but he's a human being with a supernatural uh, supernatural conception. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, like I said, we'll be reading a lot of passages of Scripture this morning. In Luke chapter 1, look at verse 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled by his words and began to wonder about the meaning of this greeting. So the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child born to you will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. The Son of God. It was a supernatural conception. Uh, Jesus' birth was a virgin birth. He was conceived uh, uh, by the Holy Spirit, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and so we see. And again, as you, as we read that, I'm sure you saw a lot of the other things here as, as uh, we've been talking about as it related to the promised seed that he, he's he's the son son of David, and and uh, he's going to reign. He's a king, uh, and we'll get into some more of that here in just a second. But but we see the fact of his supernatural conception. Not only a supernatural conception, but this human being with a supernatural conception is going to deliver humanity. Uh, again, it's a human being that will deliver humanity. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, look at verses 18 through 23. Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. While his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, 
she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. When he had contemplated this, when he had contemplated this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins. Uh, this all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, Jesus, his name, they called him Jesus because he's going to save. He's going to deliver his people from their sins. Not only that, but we see the fact that Scripture tells us that Jesus is, is the seed of Abraham and the seed of David. There in Matthew 1, look at verse 1. This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's of the seed of Abraham. He's of the seed of David. And when we go back to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul even makes this more emphatic when he, in verse 16 where he writes, Now the promises, talking about the Abrahamic uh, a covenant uh, that we referred to earlier from Genesis. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his descendant, his, his his seed. Scripture does not say and to the descendants, referring to many, and to your descendant, referring to one who is Christ. Again, uh, we talked about the the the, the, the word zarah in Hebrew is is singular, but it can also be a collective singular. And Paul emphasizes the fact that it's singular. He says it didn't say to descendants. It didn't say to seeds. It said to seed. And he's pointing that the ultimate fulfillment of that is Christ himself. So we've seen that, that Jesus Christ, he's a human being. Uh, he has a supernatural con conception. Uh, he is a, a humanity's deliverer. He's of the seed of Abraham and of the seed of David. And also, he is a king who must have the right to rule and to be free from the curse of Conaniah. Now, the answer is found. How, 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 where we find this, this fulfilled, uh, the answer is found in the two different genealogies of Jesus found in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. Now, there are about four basic ideas. The genealogies are different, and there's like four different ideas as to why they are different. And uh, all of them are plausible. I think two are more plausible than, than the other two. Uh, but but they're, they're, theologians really don't find a dogmatic way to, to look at this. Uh, there, is, there is room for, uh, for uh, a disagreement. Uh, in, in this area as, as to why they're different. Uh, and, and, and what I would like to, one, one of the reasons that's given is, is, is the fact that, that here in these two different genealogies, and, and by the way, all these, whichever view you take, it does have weaknesses. It, every view has some sort of weakness. Uh, but the thing that we're going to present this morning is, is that these two genealogies are different because one is presenting the genealogy of Joseph and the other is presenting the genealogy of Mary. The first genealogy is found in Matthew chapter 1. Now, we're not going to read through that. 
uh, through that list of names. Uh, that can that's something that you can look, do. Uh, we'll look at a, a few of the passages, but Matthew's genealogy deals with the royal and legal genealogy. Joseph, if this is indeed Joseph's uh, uh, genealogy here, Joseph was a direct descendant of Solomon through Conaniah. Look at chapter 1 and look at verse 6. And Jesse, the father of David the king, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Look at verse 11. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, uh, or again, he's the same as Coniah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So again, here we have Solomon through Jeconiah. Uh, now look at verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called, who is called Christ. So what we find out from this genealogy is this, that Joseph is a direct descendant of Solomon through Conaniah, which means this, that Joseph was the official representative of the royal house of David. He had the legal right to the throne because he's of, the, of Solomon's line, but he's also under the curse of Conaniah. And as the offspring of Conaniah, neither he nor any of his descendants could ever actually rule the kingdom to which they had a right. But notice also something. Look at verse 16. Again, uh, where the text says, And Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, uh, ESV has of whom, the Net Bible has by whom, Jesus was born, who is called Christ. That by whom there is feminine and gender. Uh, and, and basically what it's saying is that this is not how you would normally speak of, of a child's birth. The child would be by whom the father. It's the father that provides the seed. Uh, and so it would be the husband of uh, uh, Mary by whom. Again, that by whom is, a, is feminine. It's a reference to Mary. And it speaks to the virgin birth. It speaks to the virgin birth. So in the genealogy in Matthew 1, if indeed it is Joseph's genealogy, what we have here is the royal and legal genealogy. Joseph is a direct descendant of David through Solomon. He is a, a descendant of Conaniah. So as the offspring of Conaniah, neither he nor any of his descendants could ever actually rule the kingdom to which they had a right. The second genealogy is found in Luke chapter 3. Now, again, you, you see the difference there. In, in, in Matthew chapter 1, it says... Uh, and, and Jacob, the father of Joseph. When you go to go to Luke chapter three, and in Luke chapter three, you find another gen. It's an extended genealogy. Uh, Matthew's genealogy skips generations. Uh, Luke's genealogy in, in chapter three, and, and when you look at Luke's genealogy in chapter three, uh, you find there uh, beginning. It's in starts in verse twenty three. Uh, and look at verse 23. So Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years old. He was the son, as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli. So in Matthew, Jake, Joseph is the son of Jacob. In Luke, Joseph is the son of, of Heli. So what's going on here? Uh, here we believe we have the royal and biological genealogy 
of Jesus. And because of that passage there, where it says in verse 23, he was a son as was supposed of Joseph, uh, many believe that the genealogy that we have here is the genealogy of Mary. The genealogy of Mary. When you look at verse 31, uh, you're also going to see that this genealogy of Mary doesn't go through Solomon. This genealogy of Mary goes through Nathan. That Mary was a direct descendant of David through his son Nathan. Uh, and and uh, look at verse 31. The son of Melia, the, the son of Minna, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. And, and while Nathan and his offspring were not the ruling line, they were nevertheless true children of David. And so there is this biological uh, connection. There's just not a legal connection through, his, uh, through, through Joseph. And the fact that, that Joseph uh, 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 takes Jesus uh, as his son uh, and marries Mary, and by marrying Mary, he takes Jesus as his son, those legal things would have transferred to Jesus uh, the, the legal right to rule would have transferred to Jesus, uh, but uh, but he's not he's not a direct descendant of David through uh, through Solomon through Conaniah. He is, however, a direct descendant of David through uh, through Nathan. And while Nathan and his offspring were not the ruling line, they were nevertheless true children of David. And so Jesus is related physically biologically, to David through his mother, Mary, who is a descendant of David through David's third son, Nathan. So, what we have here is that Jesus receives from Joseph the legal right to rule Israel. Jesus receives through Mary the biological right to the throne of Israel. Thus, Jesus does not fall under the disqualification of Conanias, the curse. So he has the right to rule through Joseph, but he's not a direct descendant of Joseph. He's not biologically connected to Joseph. Uh, he's not biologically connected to Conaniah. But because Joseph has the legal right to rule, and because Jesus is the son of Mary, who is the husband of Joseph, he that, that legal right passes on to him as the firstborn son, and he also has the, the, the biological right to rule because of the fact that Mary, his mother, is a descendant of David through uh, David's son, Nathan. So only, only the virgin birth allows Jesus to inherit from Joseph the legal right to rule, and from Mary, the biological qualification to rule. And then finally, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus of Nazareth alone, has conquered death. Again, Luke writes, not in his gospel, but in the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 2, look at verse 24. Acts chapter 2, and look at verse 24. But God raised him up, he's talking about Jesus here, having received him from the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held in his power. For David says about him, I saw the Lord always in front of me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. 
My body also will live in hope, because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor permit your Holy One to experience decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of joy with your presence. Jesus, the Son of Mary, is humanity's deliverer. He's a human being. He's humanity's deliverer, supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit, resurrected from the grave, son of Abraham and son of David, having, to, having the right to rule, but also being free from the curse of Kononiah. Promise seed, the realization of the promise seed all comes together. All the promises come together in Jesus Christ. So, as we've seen the proof, what about the practicality of this realized uh, anticipation? As a former professor of mine would always say, uh, so what is the so what? So what is the so what? So what is the so what of all this? Is it, are these just things for us to fill our minds with, to walk out of here this morning thinking, wow, you know, I, I, man, you may have learned something new, maybe you haven't learned something new, or man, I've never seen that before. Is this just something to, to give us more information as we get ready to celebrate Christmas. Well, let, let me go in this focus, and there's nothing wrong with gaining information, but gaining information just merely for information's sake is not enough. It's Gaining information is, is to change our life, to transform our life, to cause us to, to worship God uh, in, 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 in greater ways, in better ways, in more informed ways. And so as we think about this, the, the promised seed that we've looked at, as we celebrate Christmas, Let's remember a couple things as we've made our way through this. First of all, that Jesus identifies with our humanity. We have a Savior who understands. We have a God who understands. He understands our, our, our frailties. He understands our weakness. He understands uh, temptation. Uh, he understands uh, being misunderstood. He understands uh, doing the right thing and, and being rejected because of it. Jesus identifies with our humanity. There's nothing that we experience that we cannot go to Him and pour, our, pour out our hearts to Him and Him not tell us, I understand, I understand. Think about COVID, think about the holidays and and a lot of people, it's been very lonely, not being able to get together, not being able to do what we want. Jesus understands. He understands. And, 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 the, and the promise, the, the fact of the promised seed, the promise of the promised seed, that it's a human being who's going to deliver humanity, Jesus understands. We should never, ever run away from Jesus. We should always be running towards him. Because he knows and he understands. He was also born to deliver. He, he, he came to deliver. He was born to deliver humanity. What hope that brings. Again, look, go back to our text in Galatians chapter 4. And we read the, the first part there. But, but we, we don't want to bypass verse 5. Uh, look at verse 4. It tells us, but when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and now we have the reason to redeem those who are under the law so that we might be adopted as sons with full rights. 
He was born to deliver us. And 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 in verse five, it gives us it, it kind of uh, uh, gives us a, a, a concentrated understanding of our redemption. That our redemption has a double aspect, a double deliverance. We are delivered from bondage. We are delivered from bondage, from bondage of, uh, to, to sin, from bondage to the law, from bondage to, to uh, the things of this world. We have been delivered from bondage. But then also the text says we have been delivered to sonship. Again, look at, look at the wording of the text. It tells us here, so that we may be adopted as sons or as children with full rights. We, we, we have been delivered to sonship. Jesus identifies with our humanity and he was born to deliver us from, from that which we could never, ever, ever deliver ourselves from. From the bondage of sin. From, from the bondage of our depravity. But also he delivers us to a sonship that we could never, ever, ever, ever earn. Never earn. It's a gift that is given to us by grace. Also, Jesus not only identifies with our humanity, but through his deliverance of humanity, we are identified with him. It's an act of God's grace, an act of God's condescension that he, he identifies with us, that he identifies with us but it's also an act of his grace of, and of his mercy and his compassion that he allows us to be identified with him. Allows us to be identified with him. Uh, uh, think about that. Because I'm identified with him, I'm able to live a life of resurrected power. I'm able to live a life uh, in the power and, and, I, and have the experience, the blessings and the benefits of, of, of being in Jesus Christ. And, and, and the, the, the last thing is this, is that because as we celebrate Christmas, Christmas, remember the joy in the kingdom's inauguration. The joy in the kingdom's inauguration. When Jesus came, as we've been studying the parables of Jesus, and especially the parable there in Luke, uh, Luke 19, uh, there, is, there is joy. that The kingdom has been inaugurated. Not realized yet, but it has been inaugurated. And because of that inauguration, we can have joy. We can have joy. Uh, our hope is not in Washington. Our hope is not in any branch of government. Uh, we don't have to be defeated by our circumstances. My hope is not in the economy. My hope is not in uh, a vaccine. Uh, my hope is in the fact that my Lord and my Savior rules. He rules. And while the kingdoms of this age are allowed to have influence and sway, they are under, they're still under the sovereign permission of, of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. And so, as we celebrate Christmas, regardless of what's going on around us, regardless of what's taking place, because God has kept His word as it relates to the coming of the promised seed, 
we can have joy because the promised seed is a king who has the legal right to rule and is free from the curse of Konaniah. But not just joy in the kingdom's inauguration, but anticipation in its culmination. Anticipation in its culmination. He came once. He came the first time as a babe in a manger. He comes the second time, as we learn again from Luke 19. He comes the second time to, uh, to uh, culminate his kingdom, uh, to take uh, his place uh, on a physical throne where he is physically seen and rule uh, as, the, as, 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 as the Davidic king forever and ever, forever and ever. So as we close out the message this morning, let me ask you, are you experiencing the realities of the promised seed? Take some time this week. Uh, take some moments uh, to get off by yourself. It might be, it might be, it might be something you have to do in the, sh the shower. Uh, but, but take some time somewhere this week to get off by yourself and to think about these truths that we've looked at the last three or four weeks. The fact that God has kept his word and that Christmas is about the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. That a human being is going to deliver humanity. A human being is going to deliver humanity. And that human being is not bound by death. He has a supernatural birth. Uh, he's of the, the family, the seed of Abraham. He fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. He's of the seed of David. He fulfills the Davidic covenant. He has the legal right to rule without being bound by the curse of Konaniah. Without being bound by the curse of Konaniah. We, this, this, regardless of what's going on around us, we have much to celebrate. We have much to be grateful for. We have much to rejoice in. Rejoice in. And we have much to anticipate because of the coming of the promised seed, the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus Nazareth. Let's pray. Father, again, we do thankful for, thank, thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Father, we pray you'd speak to our hearts today. For those that may not know Christ as their Savior, Lord, have not had the experience of coming to him, Lord, I pray you would show them their need today. Lord, for those of us who do, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage our hearts, take our eyes off of what's going on around us, what's going on within us, and Father, point them to that manger, point them to the cross, point them, Father, to that empty tomb, and Father, point us to the time when he comes back in all his glory uh, as King of Kings. Lord of Lords. Lord, we thank you for this time, this time to celebrate, this time to remember, this time to be in awe and wonder of who you are. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit of